Welcome to Kush Chat. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Kush Chat with your host, Keon Torres. Happy holidays, I guess, even though I believe holidays are a scam, and I know it's Christmas Eve and tomorrow's Christmas, but anyway, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in each and every Thursday for Kush Chat. We have an amazing guest for you this week. He is a stand-up comedian, and before we get to this interview, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Tell the world who you are and what you do. What's up? I am stand-up comedian Matt Marin, and I'm the commissioner of Comedy Fight Club, the premier roast battle show. Comedians get up on stage every week and they insult each other, say vicious, mean, brutal shit. I host <laughs> it. I've hosted it for a few years now. Uh, just past our five-year anniversary. It's on YouTube, bonus content on Patreon. It gets mean and fucked up, but that's the way I like it. That's what I'm talking about. Is it more like very explicit on like Patreon and shit? Uh, yeah, so on the Patreon, we'll... Um, We'll post a few things that are uh, even we were like, we probably shouldn't have this on YouTube. <laughs> we do a bonus behind the scenes podcast and uh, the episodes stream on YouTube live every Thursday night. And then after a couple weeks, they'll be taken down, but they'll still be on the Patreon page in full. Oh, man, that's fucking amazing. Let's talk about how we first met. It was at the Inspired Word. Not sure if it was Bear Burger or Funkadelic, but it was definitely one of the two. And when I first yeah. saw you perform, it was like so fucking edgy and polarizing, and I absolutely fucking loved it because that's the era like, I fucking grew up in. What got you into comedy and what made you want to do that style of comedy? Um, so when I was growing up, the comedy I always loved was like, I mean, when I was like really young, I just watched like whatever my parents watched. So I knew like of Seinfeld and Friends and everything. But the first time I saw like a South Park episode or a tough <laughs> crowd with Colin Quinn or the Comedy Central roast, I was like, oh, this is like a whole other thing I had no idea existed. So then uh, years later, I was always like uh, playing sports, but I wasn't that good at them. Um, but I was very much into trying to be an athlete in every way I could. And uh, after a few years of doing uh, pro wrestling on the indie circuit, my body was kind of breaking down. And I joined like, the sketch comedy club in college as kind of a break from wrestling, but figure I'm still performing. And uh, after like uh, there was like a six month to a year overlap where I was doing both. And, and I realized there's a lot less concussions telling jokes. So I've stuck with that since. What are your thoughts on like fucking cancel culture? And who was like that one audience member you completely offended, if you remember? Um, it's been more than one, if you could believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, early on when I first got into doing comedy, I was very much like, fuck political correctness. I'm going to say whatever I want. I like edgy humor. Um, and as I've like gotten along doing it, I kind of accept that just different people like different things. So I'm like, OK, if somebody gets offended or whatever, doesn't like something, there's plenty of things I don't like. Um, I'm just, I'm very live and let live. So the cancel culture stuff seems like it bothers me because it's like, I, I get it if you don't like it, but the idea of because I don't like something, nobody else should be able to enjoy it. It feels kind of entitled to me, and I just don't think you can view entertainment or the world that way. No, exactly. And I noticed, like, you posted it on Facebook, how, like, Facebook just continues to ban you over this, like, the stupidest shit. Like, you just, like, write. That's hilarious. Yeah. And so at this point they're targeting me like i can't it's undeniable <laughs> i'm being targeted the first like one or two bands i get it because like so i posted the patreon page for comedy fight club we have different tiers so for one dollar it's the gay tier uh, you can be oh, a gay man. patreon subscriber <laughs> and that's where you get just the full episodes um and then the next tier is retarded <laughs> if you're on the retard <laughs> tier you get the bonus podcasts 
and some of the other bonus content. And then there's the gay and retarded tier. And that's where you get more like one-on-one Q&A, stuff like that. So I posted about that and someone commented, you should have a $20 tier. And I said, what would that be called? Gay, retarded Jews? And that got me a one day ban. <laughs> oh, um, which at least that's, that's hilarious. I, I could understand algorithm-wise they see gay, retarded Jews if they're trying to cut down on anti-Semitism. I get that can come up as a keyword thing. So I was banned for a day and then I came back a day later and said, I learned my lesson. I shouldn't have said gay retarded Jews, but I started out. So I censored the gay retarded Jews part, figuring that won't show up in the algorithm. But then I said, from now on, I'm going to say homosexual developmentally disabled people who control the bank's media and weather. (laughs) (laughs) And then that got me a three day ban. Um, which, okay, maybe there's an algorithm where they're like looking for keywords with like controlling the banks and media. I'm Jewish also, by the way. I don't know if that actually comes into account when they're looking into things like this. Um, but then three days later, I came back and I posted uh, my profile picture with the Israeli flag saying I've learned my oh, lesson no. and now I'm pro-Israel and I, I'm going to study the Torah. And fortunately, nothing in the Bible would ever go against Facebook's community standards and guidelines. There's nothing in the Bible that's offensive. Um, and then i got a seven day ban but not for that because of a post i put up over a month ago it was like the yeah it was like the week of the election after biden won and i was in Times square for it when everyone was celebrating and i posted on facebook uh nobody liked my proud boys for biden sign (laughs) (laughs) and i guess but if they're going back like six weeks to ban me, they uh, there's obviously someone there who saw me antagonizing them with the Israeli flag or something. Like, I, I can't see any other way other than to think you're being targeted when they're going back six weeks to find things to ban you. You know what I think it is? I feel like, especially Mark Zuckerberg, like he got like flamed like the fuck out of like from AOC. And I feel like Facebook is just terrified of the fucking left. Maybe that's what it is. I mean, in general, these social media companies are in a weird place because they didn't necessarily think they were going to become the main form of communication. So then it's kind of a question of how much responsibility do they have when there is racism and hate out there? And how do you distinguish that from because people say, like, I'm against hate speech It's an easy thing to say, easy thing to agree with. But when you're being ironic or joking or you're saying something that somebody considers hateful, like it's kind of a broad term. You can't really pin down. Yeah. Someone's saying like, uh, fuck the Jews. Let's gas the Jews. The hot like you can look at something like that and be like, yeah, this guy's actually being anti-Semitic. But looking at keywords and stuff without having like a person there to look for context, there's no way to really fairly enforce that. Yeah, it, it isn't. They should have like a fucking like option, like saying like clearly this is just a fucking joke, like in the top right corner of your like post. Yeah, of, or like, I'm really fucking even, serious. Yeah, <laughs> even if something like trips the uh, thing. Um, I remember a few years ago I put on Twitter. I think like I missed a train or something, or a train didn't come for like a half hour, and I tweeted, "I'm shocked that there's never been an assassination attempt on an MTA chairman," <laughs> <laughs> and I got a call from like a private investigator. <laughs> Who was just oh, like, hey, shit. yeah, he was like about the tweet. And I was like, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. He's like, yeah, we just, the word, the word assassination trips up a thing. He's like, I saw in your bio, you're a comedian. He seemed like he didn't even really want to make the call. But I get something <laughs> yeah. like that. A, wor- a word like trips something up, but then you look into it and you realize it's a joke. I'm not banned from Twitter. Like that makes sense. You look into it and then you realize it's not that big of a deal. But just immediately slapping a ban is, I mean, People just communicate through these social media platforms now 
we would be outraged if AT&T or a phone company said, oh, I heard you say a racial slur in a phone conversation, so you don't get to use the phone anymore. That would be some shit. <laughs> but, but well, I mean, at this point, social media platforms are the way people communicate. Like, I think it should be kind of it. Yeah, it does suck that people are hateful and awful. But if that's the way we're going to communicate, you got to kind of let it happen. And eventually people will adjust. Facts, facts. Why do you think people are so goddamn sensitive in this like climate that we live in? Um, I think they just know that they'll be heard now. I think people have always been sensitive. It just never went anywhere because they couldn't tweet about it. People would leave yeah. a movie <laughs> or a comedy show and be like, that was awful. I hated that. It was offensive. I'm going to tell all my friends never to watch that or go see that comedian again. They told 10 people who mostly forgot about it and it never went anywhere. But now <laughs> the most sensitive person in one neighborhood goes on Twitter and then the most sensitive person in 500 other neighborhoods all retweet it. And if a few thousand people tweet something, it'll get trending. And it feels like that's what everyone's thinking or saying. But I really don't mm. think it's that big of a deal. From performing stand-up, you go in front of most crowds. Most people just want to laugh and have a good time. Yeah, exactly. But there's always like that one person that just gets like highly offended. And I'm like, yo, yeah. why the fuck are you there in the first place? Like, you yeah. know this is what's going to be presented on fucking stage. And if like, why fucking show up anyway? Yeah. It's interesting know. with some comedy shows and especially like when we would do the inspired word open mics, I understand oh, yeah. in that like a certain comedy show, let's say it's a showcase. So you're seeing all different kinds of comedians you're going maybe because Jim Gaffigan's on the lineup, but then also there's going to be somebody who's saying more offensive jokes. So it's not really like, there's no such thing as like, you go to a baseball game and you also may see mixed martial arts. <laughs> like, so same thing with inspire word. A lot of people went cause they were friends with their poet friend and they don't necessarily oh, yeah. like, like rape jokes or Jew jokes or anything like that. So then when I went up there, it was like a shock to their system. <laughs> oh yeah. Trust me. I, I know. I seen like the look on their fucking faces. Yeah. Poets are definitely the most sensitive fucking yeah. people you could ever fucking meet yeah. on this planet. Yeah, my mindset was always, though, um, especially the reason I started going to those rooms was I knew that it wasn't like my crowd necessarily. But I was trying to get out of my comfort zone and see if because there were some people there who I'd see post on social media about uh, cancel culture type stuff, this being offensive and yeah. uh, going after stuff. But then they liked me and they liked my jokes. So I think there is like a way you can reach some of those people. Some people you're never going to reach no matter what. If you try pleasing yeah. everyone, you'll please no one. But I liked going to those rooms and I would just focus on the people who were liking what I was doing. I specifically remember a time where it was one of the nights where most of the room wasn't into what I was doing. But you were sitting in the front and you were loving everything I was doing. I'm like, I can try and win all these other people over who aren't going to like me. And then end up kind of having nobody really be that into me. Or I can make you and the couple other people who liked it love it. I can definitely like totally relate whenever you perform. Because as a hip hop artist, like I have edgy content as well. And there's a lot of people I know for a fact that's not going to like my shit. For me just expressing myself and like taking out all my fucking anger in my like regular like normal life to my music. Because that's just the way it is for me. And that's the way I can like be therapeutic for myself yeah. but a lot of people don't understand that so anytime i say fuck this bitch and i'm like you know like, i'm angry as shit it's just like yo you don't know if like a woman like really fucked up my life like you don't know yeah. like what happened in my everyday life so instead of me taking it out like on her i'm taking it out on a fucking song yeah probably a healthier way to deal with things 
Exactly. Yeah. So it's just people don't get that shit. Yeah. And it's like just totally fucking stupid. I think people just deal with no. things differently yeah. and they can't necessarily understand somebody else who deals with them differently. Like as far as comedy goes, I think there's just there's people who when tragedy or awful things happen, they deal with them by making jokes and laughing almost uncomfortably just because they that's the only way they can deal with things. And there's other people who cry. I've never had a good cry. I've heard about that before. But I have good laughs all the time. But I don't look at the people who are criers and be like, you're snowflakes, pussies or whatever. So I just ask them not to look at me and tell me that I'm heartless and insensitive. We just deal with things in different ways. Exactly. That is a great point. Shit, man. Where was the craziest crowd you ever performed in front of? Craziest crowd I ever performed in front of? Okay, this is probably the one. Um, uh, we did uh, so for a while. We were doing comedy Fight Club in intermission of a pr- independent pro wrestling show. Nice. Um, they wanted us coming up during intermission, and uh, thing is, sometimes there would be kids there, and comedy Fight Club is roast jokes and like fucked up stuff. <laughs> so the first time we went there, it'd be like we didn't do anything too over the edge graphic or awful. Um, but there would be little things they were like, maybe don't say the word fingering next time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the first couple, the first time we did it, it was okay. The second time we did it actually went pretty well. And then the third time we did it was the last time we did it. And that's probably the wild, the craziest, not even necessarily the crowd itself, just the entire situation. There was a good crowd for a wrestling show. It was like the morning of WrestleMania, I think. And it was from WrestleMania was in New York. So okay. people come from all around the world to see not just WrestleMania, but all these independent shows will do shows that weekend. And people who are visiting will just go to as many wrestling shows as they can. So it's one of the biggest oh, yeah. crowds they had. Um, and we were up in intermission right before intermission was a death match. Oh, shit. yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar or if anyone <laughs> listening is familiar with wrestling death matches. Um, so there's like people probably know hardcore matches with steel chairs, sometimes ladders, tables. Death matches Bob where, wire. yeah, death matches um, where it's not even really as much a wrestling match as it's all the weapon stuff. Um, like it will be all barbed wire. They'll put thumbtacks into each other. They'll throw each other on cheese broken, graters, cheese graters, broken glass, and the entire thing. They uh, at one point the two guys in the match sat across from each other in steel chairs and staple gunned each other's heads. Um, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it was. They broke a fluorescent light tube over one of the guy's heads, and his forehead was completely cut open. It was vicious to the point where the crowd was like even like a little turned off by how brutal it was. But they were like still <laughs> into it. Like there was at one point in the show, there was like an old lady in the front row. I think she like was related to one of the wrestlers because they got her involved in a way uh, where she was yelling oh, at one of the bad guys, and the whole crowd was chanting like "Fuck him up, Grandma! Fuck him up!" <laughs> So it's a fun kind of wild show, but that got a little bit weird after the death match. And as soon as the death match is over, it's kind of like quiet in a weird, like uncomfortable way. And the guy behind this stage doesn't even introduce me. He just goes, all right, you guys are up. Oh, shit. And we walk out. There is blood everywhere in the ring, around the ring. They are vacuuming (laughs) up the blood in the ring as I'm trying to host. (laughs) So oh, I have man. To, a lot we of hepatitis B there. Yeah, we were supposed to go the last couple times we did in the ring. We had to be on the stage behind the ring because they were vacuuming up blood and like sweeping up glass. So I'm like come out there and I was like, hey, how many of you guys want to see a roast battle now after that? And one person just yells out, no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, apparently because there were the most people there that have in a while, they were the most strict this time about uh, content. So as soon as somebody like said, fuck. 
somebody, someone's giving me the cut sign, like, you guys got to get off. Somebody dropped an F-bomb. And I'm like, we just uh, got here. So I wasn't going to leave, like, no matter what. Um, I brought, yeah. I, we drove a few people down. There were two battles. I was going to let them get their time in. And they did the battle. I'm getting the cut sign, like, from about two minutes after we're up there until the end. We were up there about ten minutes. I'm getting the cut sign, like, the entire time. Um, at one point, one person said a joke where they mentioned the word slavery. It wasn't even, it was just like, <laughs> it was a joke about like a white girl being related to a uh, slave owner, something like that. Um, but as soon as she said that, we hear someone from backstage, one of the referees or something, just going, oh no, they're done. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, <laughs> we finished like a couple battles and uh, we had a little bit more planned, but one of the other wrestlers who was, uh, uh, but he's a buddy of mine, he was like, up on stage with us at the fight club came up behind me he's like yeah we actually like really gotta go now <laughs> and so then we went oh, off damn we went off but yeah that was probably one of the wildest crowds or stories i have oh man that shit is insane yeah. is the sleeveless gimmick still a thing for you mm -hmm. and like what inspired you to do that um yeah i pretty much never wear shirts with sleeves and uh so it was funny because I had done pro wrestling before getting into comedy and I was very skinny as a kid. I did amateur wrestling. Um, when I was doing pro wrestling, I had to bulk up and I would be in the gym pretty much every day. And I was like working out in tank tops, but I only had like three tank tops. And instead of doing laundry every three days or buying new tank tops, I just cut the sleeves off all my other shirts. <laughs> and then eventually it became like a running joke on my college campus. People just being like, I feel like I never see you wearing a shirt with sleeves. And uh, <laughs> so when I started doing stand-up, I wore the few shirts with sleeves I had because I figured, like, I can't just wear sleeveless shirts all the time. I'm going to be performing stand-up. And uh, after a few months, I was like, oh, this is the way I dress all the time anyway. Let me keep it going. And now, like, to the, it's <clears throat> to the point if it's winter and I'm wearing a jacket, people are mad at me for not being sleeveless. Oh, man. You got to live the gimmick. Yeah. You got to live the gimmick. I mean, there's a sleeveless shirt underneath the layers, but <laughs> I'm not going to get hypothermia. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I feel you, bro. No, nah, that's hilarious. Yeah. Now, like you said, you were a pro wrestler. What made you want to fucking do that? And who trained you? Um, so as a kid, when I was really young, I was a fan of uh Stone Cold, The Rock, the whole attitude era of wrestling, Chris Jericho. Yeah. Undertaker was my favorite. My little I had a little brother, so he liked Kane and I liked Undertaker, and Undertaker always won, so I was very happy with wrestling. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, then um I kind of stopped watching. I got into amateur wrestling, and the amateur wrestler's attitude is all like that's the fake stuff that makes us look bad. So I wasn't really into pro wrestling anymore until I was in high school and Matt Stryker was my ninth grade social studies teacher. <laughs> Get the fuck out yeah, of here. Yeah, Cardozo High School. He uh, was a cool teacher. <laughs> oh, shit. And we knew he would like wrestle on SmackDown once. And the next day, we all like made fun of him for tapping out to Kurt Angle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he got fired for using like sick days to wrestle in Japan. And he a few months later, oh, we heard God. he was in WWE. I started watching again and got really back into it. And uh, I was always like into playing sports and the more i got into like wwe and i would watch old stuff uh, i was a big fan of the old ecw stuff i had all those dvds i would watch and just the idea of uh it being kind of being able to be kind of grimy but also like entertainment and being an athlete um i'd see guys like a william regal or christian guys who not that they weren't athletic but they weren't like you did they weren't the hugest bodybuilder type guys and they weren't crazy high flying guys and be like, okay, yeah. I can kind of do that. I can be a personality. Uh, I know I can talk. And if I can like wrestle, but not have to 
do crazy flips or be seven, like uh, 250 pounds, then let me uh, give it a shot. And it was mainly, it was uh, the Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair WrestleMania match that really made me be like, I got to get into training and do this as soon as I can. Um, nice. And uh, one of my old amateur wrestling buddies, his older brother was doing independent shows and we would go and like set up the ring beforehand. And if we set it up early enough, they would let us kind of fool around in the ring and a couple of the wrestlers would show us some basic things. And uh, on that show, they had like an opening coming up for a match and they were like, yeah, we'll train. We have a class of guys and we'll see if we can get uh, one of the guys out of the class to fill in for this tag match. Uh, I later found out they brought in like two or three classes of 10 people and just basically brutalized (laughs) us until one person didn't quit. And that was me. (laughs) It was very like old school the way they tra- uh, trained us to the point where you ever get like old school like training stories or gym stories you know like that's kind of abusive I think uh, oh, yeah, yeah it was no I have it was heard, shit like yeah. that like they one of the first days they broke my nose to see how I'd react like <laughs> just like it was like some stupid yeah shit. it was different ways of testing you and seeing how you react to stuff and I wasn't in the best shape like the first day we did like just a five mile run and they put us in a, like half of the run they put weights on our backs. And uh, they put us in a room where, like, you can't leave the room until you do, like, 300 push-ups, 500 sit-ups, and 1,000 squats. And I didn't, like, finish top of the class or anything. I was towards the bottom. But the next week, there were only four of us out of the ten. And then (laughs) we learned how to take falls, which, uh, for anyone who thinks wrestling is fake, take a vertical suplex and you'll completely lose your breath and be like, holy shit, how does anyone ever do that? Um (laughs) <laughs> yeah Damn. and then after a couple weeks i was the only one and uh so i got in this tag team match and then enough of the guys liked me that i kept kind of getting booked and the plan was always to go to like an official training school um about, about three or four years in i was having knee and back issues i had like three concussions my last year of wrestling so i kind of took a break Damn. and was doing stand-up and then kind of just stayed on the break and uh can, i think i had a stand-up set where I, f- I did so well. I'm like, if I can get this high, it was the same high I got at, from pro wrestling. I'm like, I can get this high without like destroying my body. I was 21 years old and I have bad b- back and knees. And I just figured my body probably wasn't going to be able to maintain a like 20 year wrestling career. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Especially you see like a lot of like wrestlers like today, like a lot of their like careers just end early due to injuries or concussions. And it's just, it's fucked up and sad. Day in, night out and shit, especially like WWE wrestlers, like they're on the fucking road all the time. Luckily, because of the pandemic, they're like in one place now. (laughs) But it's like before it was just crazy. Like they're on the road, like all the fucking yeah. time and just like damn like how the fuck can you stay alive from yeah. all that and the way like, traveling and the way and wrestling shit. is now also just the way matches are everything is so fast paced and so like gotta get to the next spot gotta do the next thing there's more like wrestlers always got hurt and broken down but there's more like torn ACLs and neck injuries broken necks and stuff like that than there ever really was in past generations of wrestling um, and I think there's a way for the business to evolve without getting uh like dangerous for the wrestlers. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was never, I yeah, agree. 100%. I was never really a guy who did a bunch of flips or crazy stuff. So I didn't have like crazy injuries like that, but I would just have like cartilage damage in my knees, uh, broken fingers, um, concussion, stuff like that. That, uh, and yeah, who knows? Uh, I mean, there's some guys now, but there was a part of me that was like, there are times where you're just on the road in the middle of nowhere in East New York near Jamestown in front of a crowd of 40 people. And it's like, 
I can't do a 450 splash of shooting star press and I'm not a 280 pound bodybuilder. Can I really make it in this industry? And how much am I going to put my body through before I realize I can or can't and keep going or not? And then once I found comedy, I found another thing that I could put my talents towards that I loved and was passionate about and didn't have to destroy my body. Sweet, sweet. What was like your like wrestling? Uh, I was name? Nick Matthews. Uh, my middle name is Nick. My middle name is Nicholas, and that was what Shawn Michaels did. His real name was like Michael Shawn. So when I was like fifteen, I would play yeah. the wrestling video game and make uh, Mr. Amazing Nick Matthews. Oh man, that's that's like a that's like a true wrestling name. That's yeah. fucking awesome. Oh man, what do you think of like the whole WWE Thunderdome right now? And also, what are your thoughts on like AEW? Um, I'm not really into the Thunderdome, the way, the look of it that much. But I mean, during a pandemic, I'll kind of give some benefit of the doubt. Um, early in the pandemic, I was watching a lot of stuff. And I was excited about AEW early on. Chris Jericho is like one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really into a, a lot of the stuff AEW is doing. I like some of it. I like a lot of it. Um, MJF is one of my favorites. FTR I like a lot. Um, I, after a while, I kind of got out of watching some WWE stuff because a lot of it felt like a little too silly sketch comedy and they weren't doing things that were like believable. And AEW, I think, leaned into that kind of indie style where mm -hmm. let's do a setup that looks kind of contrived and obviously fake. But in the end, we're going to do a cool flip and everyone's going to cheer. And that's not the style of wrestling that I'm particularly into. Um, and it's tough for me mm. to be like, because I've heard um, they say they want to be like a buffet of wrestling where you have that, but then you have a Cody Rhodes match or a match where it's a little more wrestling. It's tough for me. It feels a little schizophrenic to me. If I'm like being taken out of it because I can't believe what's going on in one match, I'm not going to then buy in in the next match. because It's already been kind of exposed for me. It's like a magic show to me. Um, no magician's ever going <laughs> to show you that the trick is being done or that it's a trick or how it's being done while it's being done. And once I've already seen that the woman's not really in the box where you saw her in half, the next trick's not going to work on me. Mm. No, totally got you, bro. Like, totally got you. Now, speaking of the pandemic, this year has been a fucking crazy-ass fucking year. I feel like we're living in a fucking horror movie yeah. right now. <laughs> it's pretty pretty wild. Especially with all, yeah, especially with all these dumbass politicians that have no clue what the fuck, it, like, what to fucking yeah. do at all for, like, the American people. But what are your thoughts on the whole pandemic, and how bad did it hurt stand-up comedy and the community overall? Um, well, yeah, stand-up is, it's definitely, as far as, like, clubs go, a couple of clubs have shut down and uh, don't know if they'll be coming back. Um, for a while, it was fun over the summer. I was doing a lot of backyard shows and rooftop shows. Um, in some ways, I mean, desperate times call for desperate measures, and it forces you into doing things out of your comfort zone a little. So I was able to like take some positives yeah. out of it, where like we were doing Comedy Fight Club at the Stand Comedy Club every week, and then the Stand wasn't able to do shows, and we were forced to kind of do it outdoors in different venues. And then one week we just reached out to like someone we knew in Philadelphia and we said, Hey, let's give, is there a rooftop? We could do comedy fight club in Philadelphia. And we sold only like 25 tickets or so, but they sold out in less than a day. And like, if we, if there was no nice. pandemic and we were still just at the stand every week, we wouldn't necessarily know that we could draw and do a show in Philadelphia. So overall it's definitely, it's not good for any industry, but I think it, uh, it has made people more inventive. And it's interesting, it, within the comedy scene, there's, when everything's going on, New York is such a hub for comedy, you can, two people could be doing open mics, shows, hanging out at clubs every single day, and never see each other, because there's so many different places to be doing it. 
So now it's like a smaller group. It almost feels like a small town comedy scene because a lot of the people I'm friends with and hanging out now in the comedy scene, a lot of them I didn't even really know before the pandemic. Mm. Yeah, wow, so there's definitely – it'll be interesting when we come out of it if there'll be kind of a reshuffling of who is seen as being at what level in comedy. Um, I think there's some uh, – like Comedy Fight Club has been doing shows throughout the pandemic, and there's not a lot of shows that have kept going and kept momentum. So I think uh, when we come out of this, Comedy Fight Club will still be a hot commodity. Um, overall, I, I mean, I'm just generally – I always try and find, like, positive in whatever's happening. So I think we've done as uh, – well as we could given the circumstances and it, fe- it feels like almost insensitive to say that uh good things are coming out of the pandemic because everyone's like obviously so many people are struggling but yeah some i mean i'm trying to look on the bright side it's uh kind of in some ways it's been good for the show and for me and comedy mm, that's dope that's great to hear and i'm glad like you know for comedy especially like you know it keeps moving and then what you guys are doing with comedy fight club is like persevering even though like shit is fucking crazy right now so that's fucking dope and kudos to you you. and your peoples bro hell yeah man shit man so now it is christmas eve so (laughs) what do you think historically speaking why white people made jesus white hmm. i don't know i mean i'm jewish so i'm not really a big fan of jesus either um <laughs> no <okay. laughs> um i don't know historically um it's it, it, it's kind of probably one of those histories written by the written by the winners type things where you know white people were the ones writing history at the time so that's just what the guy who everyone uh, looks up to most of the world who was writing history at the time was white so all their heroes are going to be white Probably like, you know, the Bible was it was like rewritten, like the like the current version of it came out in 1300, which is like 1300 years after every like the Jesus was born. So like, have you ever had a story like in high school or wherever someone's got a story about someone and they tell someone who tells someone who tells someone by the time it gets to you, it's yeah. completely different. And that's just oh, yeah. amongst Completely. friends over a few days. Compound that by 1,300 years. <laughs> like, there's going to be <laughs> a few inaccuracies or things that aren't quite uh, where they were. And at that time, it seemed like white people... I mean, if you look at history uh, from the 1300s or from even back then, it was mostly written by white people. So that's probably why it ended up being Facts. like that. Yeah, and why do you think they made him like fucking be born on fucking Christmas out of all the fucking days? Imagine him being born on like, yeah. Halloween. <laughs> I don't know. They probably just he was just born on whatever day. I feel like he his birth came before Christmas, not the other way around. It's a chicken or the egg thing, but I'm pretty <laughs> yeah, sure it so wasn't like so. we have this day called Christmas. We don't know what to do with it. Let's just say Jesus was born on it. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, for real, that ass. Do you think Jesus was like a fucking pothead? maybe whatever the equivalent of pot was at the time? He was kind of like the philosophy like you know the guys uh who are on youtube now that are talking about philosophy and everyone's like going into their videos like this guy really says it all he was he's probably like joe rogan of the time (laughs) just trying to chill everyone out and like (laughs) this is the way it is people were mad at him because he was saying things they didn't like yeah i feel yeah joe rogan is the jesus of our time that's what i want to put out there Oh, absolutely. I agree. Like, uh, like a fucking thousand years from now, people are going to... like. There's going to be a Joe Rogan-based religion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and as far as Jesus go, he definitely was a piehead to me, because look at The Last Supper. You had, like, all those motherfuckers yeah. sitting in one table. You're going to tell me a Probably. joint was not yeah. passed? I would assume. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he's the one telling everyone, chill out, oh, man. man. Why you got to be fighting all the time? <laughs> 
Uh, and Judas was like that one hater. He was probably like the drunk one of the group. So he was like just fucking. He was like, the drunk who's like against weed smoking. <laughs> yeah. I kind of get that because I was uh, oh, I never man. really been a weed guy, but I was always a drinker. I was never anti weed or anything, but I did always feel like whenever someone had a cool drinking story, it was always about how they got drunk and did something cool. Every weed story about how it was how they got high and did something that wasn't cool, but they thought it was cool. Like every drunk story is like you got banned <laughs> yeah. from a bar or kicked out of a Dairy Queen. Every weed story is like we watched Family Guy for four hours. <laughs> we were just stoned yeah. out of our fucking mind. Which brings me to my next question. But like you pretty much like answered it kind of. But like I asked every single yeah. guest I have on this show this question. So have no, you I actually haven't. Weed? Well, so really? I, when I was oh, in shit. high school, I was around guys who drank and just wasn't around guys smoking weed. And then when I was wrestling, I was getting drug tested. Um, now granted, uh, I knew plenty of guys on the wrestling circuit who were doing all kinds of drugs. So I don't think the, I think the drug test was more of a PR thing, but I was like seven, I was like 17 and all these older guys, I was like, (laughs) kind of just trying to be on my best behavior. And one of my coaches said, if you just, if you have a reputation as being a kid who can pass a drug test, you'll get booked more. You'll just be seen as somebody who's not going to get the company in trouble or bad press it was like shortly after the chris benoit thing so drugs drugs and wrestling was oh, in yeah. the news like i wanted to get on steroids also because i was a skinny kid and my coach was like be the kid who can pass a drug test and then you'll get booked over guys who are maybe more talented than you who can't i wasn't even really, like after college i wasn't really partying as much anymore and it was like if i really like weed if i start doing it i'm just gonna have another thing to spend money on so that is true. That is true. So you have to like yeah, give up one or the other. Like for me, yeah. I gave up alcohol. So like, yeah, I, I mean, I'll I totally still drink here yeah, and there. I'm yeah. not like, like in college. I mean, if I, if when I was wrestling, if they ever tested for Jack Daniels, I would have been fucked. I would have failed every test. Like I was a part, I was still a party. <laughs> I was doing keg stands in dorm rooms, but then just when the weed was out, I would just be like, no, nah, I'm good. And no one ever like forced me or peer pressured me or anything like that. That's dope. That's fucking dope. Oh man. That's funny as shit. Uh, bro. Yo. So, what do you want your legacy to be as a stand-up comedian? Um, I mean, I guess I don't really think about it that much in terms of that, but I will say uh, running Comedy Fight Club and then seeing like people who've been on Comedy Fight Club do The Tonight Show, be on MTV's Wild and Out. Even like one of the people who did The Tonight Show, I think it was uh, Isabel Hagen and Sean Finnerty both did it. And I think in their like bios, it mentioned that they were like Sean Finnerty was like the best roaster in New York. He was like the fight club champion at the time. So like having little things like that in there, I think uh, I was always a bit of a comedy nerd where I'd listen to like old Opie and Anthony episodes or podcasts of people talking about comedy. The idea that me or my show would be something that a famous comedian one day who everyone's listening to on a podcast that they would mention as being like a great thing in the New York comedy scene like that, having a legacy like that, would be uh, I would really enjoy. I don't need to be necessarily like famous selling at Madison Square Garden, um, but for like people within my field, people who are helped by me or my show to bring it up and like when people come to Comedy Fight Club who weren't doing or new to comedy and weren't doing it when Fight Club first started and were like before I got into comedy I used to watch Fight Club all the time. Like stuff like that really that's the kind of stuff I really like. It really makes me feel good about what I'm doing. Sweet. No, nah, that's fucking awesome, bro. That is fucking awesome, man. Shit, you have any, like anything else you're working on? Um, so I do a Comedy podcast with um a few friends of mine, uh, Mark Henley, who's also on Comedy Fight Club. Every week, he's our official big dog of Comedy Fight Club, and uh, a couple other comedians, Bobby Sheehan and Ben Miller. We do a podcast called the Super Seniors Podcast. 
and uh, we're four men perpetually in our fifth year of college. And it's uh, four of us comes out every week, Spotify, <laughs> iTunes, wherever you get podcasts. It's a uh, super seniors podcast. Sweet, sweet. So last question, bro. Like I always like thought about this. Like, where do you think like, actually yeah. it's like a two part question. Where do you think like comedy started like during like early like civilization? And then also where do you think is going to be in like the next fucking thousand, two thousand mm, I years think it's now? in general, just the kind of like public, uh, like if you go back far enough, just like public speakers, just like the person who just stood on a hill and just talked to people, whether it was like teaching back in the day. And you probably had somebody who was kind of a clown or making joke for everyone. And then kind of <laughs> the medieval times, there was the court jester whose job was to come in and to the courtroom and make everyone laugh in the middle of a tense situation. And uh, kind of as time went on, you'd have that archetype i think always existed and then stand-up comedy the way we kind of know it today is almost uniquely american kind of came out of vaudeville and everywhere else around the world where there are stand-up comedy scenes they came after kind of lenny bruce and uh early like um uh george burns uh type stand-up comedians in america buddy hackett rodney dangerfield and then if you look like at england's comedy scene um the uk scene a little bit Maybe I'm not as up to date with it now, but a few years ago you'd see it. And a lot of the jokes and style they were doing was a little bit of what America was doing like 10 or 15 years earlier. Um, and Australia kind of had a similar thing. And uh, different places around the world like have little burgeoning scenes. Um, but yeah, I think it really just came from people want to be entertained and you're kind of the court jester or the person who can stand on the hill and entertain people. Um, that's where I came from as far as where it's going in the future. Um with the internet, it's kind of who knows at this point, because there's so many different ways where Word. people can like stand up. Not that it'll go away, but just comedy as a whole is like you don't need to get on stage and tell jokes to make a living. You can hold the phone to your face and say something for 15 seconds on TikTok um, or Instagram doing an impression <laughs> or something and you get cast in writing and stuff. There's a lot of people who. I know we're like, I'm not saying there's like shit on them necessarily. There's different people have different skill sets. Um, I can't necessarily do impressions, but there's people who are big on Instagram or Twitter uh, from their impressions they do or their one-liner tweets. And I've seen these people do stand-up and they're not good at stand-up comedy. They can like draw a crowd because they're like, they have a following, but their skill set is more in like a Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. So comedy as a whole, I think is just going to evolve where, uh, because of social media, you don't need to be on stage, stand up comedian telling jokes to be uh, like big in comedy. It's uh, it's interesting where it's going. And in some ways, it's good with the Internet that uh, slave to the industry and what industry standards are. You don't have to do what's appropriate for Comedy Central. You could just go on YouTube or go on Patreon, put something out there and hope enough people support it that. You know, Andrew Schultz just got a Netflix special and he kind of did a lot of his stuff outside the industry. He put videos on YouTube and Netflix is like, we'll give you a bunch of money to put yeah. this on uh, Netflix and all of your followers will like it. And I watched it. He didn't have to like censor his jokes in any way. He was saying stuff I'm like surprised they allowed on Netflix. Shit, especially like with big corporations now, like they're just sensing fucking everything. Like I know like Spotify like defended like when Joe Rogan had like yeah. Alex Jones on his podcast. Like, you know, that was like a big fucking deal, which I find fucking stupid. Like this is yeah, you not should that be able to serious. talk like, with whoever oh, like you man. can't silence people. Cause if you do especially like there's been times at like 
random basement open mics where some comedian saying offensive stuff and the people at the open mic want to ban him from the open mic. I'm like, he's in front of 15 other people right now in a basement. This is where people like this should be. If you ban him, he may go on Reddit and find a following. Let him bomb in the basement. This is the like, let people speak. And if they gain exactly. a lot of a following, you can't like be mad at people for believing what they believe. Oh man, that is so fucking true. Would you consider like Donald Trump like the first? Probably, like, he's the funniest president, president of my lifetime for sure. That's why it, yeah, whenever I when he was agree. running, everyone said this is going to be good for stand-up comedy. I'm like, no, he's funnier than most stand-up comedians. <laughs> like you can't joke, you can't joke about someone that who's already being funny. Like every day, it was just like stand-up comedians on Twitter were just going, "Can you believe he said this?" I'm like, he's saying the funny thing. You're just sharing the funny thing he said. A good president is one who's not funny that oh, a man. good comedian can make funny. That is so fucking true. And like a hundred years from now, like when kids are like learning about U.S. history, they're going to just read a bunch yeah, of fucking Yeah, that's Trump wild. The, um, it's going to be interesting to see where Twitter goes. Well, like Trump is a madman and like a crazy person. So I don't know if we'll have like like Joe yeah. Biden's not going to be like that. But down the road, we've set the precedent. We'll vote for somebody who's crazy uh, because that's how much we hate like regular politicians like i don't care if you're crazy or not just don't if you lie to me for my entire life and we're in wars my entire life and i'm just <laughs> don't trust you at all i'll vote vote for maybe the worst person ever to be president like kanye west like yeah. he got like sixty thousand fucking votes yeah. so and he's planning to run again so who knows who, yeah who the fuck knows a, and we're point. also just in this uh celebrity social media culture i think it'll and as far as like corporations i think eventually at least it's probably me being optimistic um, I think eventually they'll realize a few thousand people being really upset about something is not reason enough to completely shift the way you run your operation. It's actually overall a small amount of people. And if they just powered through and ignored them, you're probably not going to lose as much business as you think like you would. Mm, but I also true. understand that being scared if true. you're this like big Shit. company and you try to appeal to everyone. And all of a sudden, a lot of people are saying you're racist or sexist. You're going to be like, no, we're not. Let's not do that anymore. Just drop it and fire that person. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. going to be like their second like go-to. But damn, man. I think we're in a technological revolution now. And when we were in the industrial revolution, there was like 50 years of people dying in factories and child labor. We just didn't know how to deal with the new technology at the time. I think we're in that now. We don't know how to deal with social media. So there's a lot of fucked yeah. up shit happening. Maybe by the time we're really old, we'll see it balance out. But it's going to take a generation or so before people understand how to properly and fairly deal with the new technology we have. Meanwhile, we have like niggas fucking sex right. robots. That's how yeah. become a thing. People having sex. You yeah. can look it up on YouTube. <laughs> There's a guy in like Japan <laughs> who married a robot. That's yeah, the women, world we're women who don't talk back. It's pretty. Oh, par- it's kind of a paradise. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to there close this show time <laughs> um, on twitter and instagram at real matt marin and you can find comedy fight club at comedy fight nyc we'll post uh clips from the show on the instagram and twitter and uh information about our upcoming shows and follow us on youtube where we post the uh, live streams each week some classic clips and episodes we've been doing the show five years so we got a lot of stuff to put out there and uh, yeah, subscribe to the Patreon page for just one dollar. You can see all the full episodes and uh, help support the show. Uh, the next tier is four dollars and twenty cents because four twenty. Pretty cool, right? Um, 
four dollars and twenty cents you can get some more bonus content and for ten dollars you can get even more bonus content it helps support the show you know it you know roasting and uh, this kind of fucked up comedy is not the darling of the industry or media right now so we're trying to do it on our own so any support we can get even if you go to the patreon one dollar a month would help anything would help us it's patreon.com slash comedy fight club shit fucking awesome yo my brother matt Marin, thank you so much for being part of this this was fucking awesome and yeah Yeah. happy holidays thanks for having me